This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I don't think we've fully worked out the impact of social media on our lives yet. I think we are now entering into an era where there'll be far more regulation of social media. I'm Philip Ryan, Independent Newspaper's political editor. Today, in a special episode of the Indo Daily, we have an in-depth interview with Taoiseach Michal Martin in which he discusses the dangers of social media in the wake of the Leo Varadkar video controversy. I don't believe in that sort of intrusion. I don't think it's right. But what would concern me is the degree to which it could deter people from getting, getting involved in politics. Reveals which ministries he's intends on holding on to after Saturday's cabinet reshuffle. On the housing front, um, I think we have um, over the last two and a half years, put the building blocks in place to really have a, a significant uh, house construction programme for the next decade. Said he will face down any challenge to his leadership of Fianna Fáil before the next general election. As I say, um, I, I intend to lead the party into the next election. We do better when we're unified and when we don't have division. And discusses the impact of politics on his family life. I said to them they won't ignore it, but they do watch Twitter and, and, and Facebook. Now, what worries me at times is the degree to which it can influence thinking. Sometimes they may ring and say, look, what about this? And I said, you're, you're, you're hooked too much on Twitter. Get off that. OK, so we are just five days out from uh, Micheál Martin uh, handing over the power to Leo Radker. And uh, the Fianna Fáil leader is in the studio with us. So thank you uh, for coming in and welcome to the Indo Daily T-shirt. Thank you very much indeed, Philip. Yeah, and look, so we're just going to get straight into it. And I think um, the changeover is happening. It's coming this week. I know you're not going to be able to say a lot of stuff. Uh, you're, there's a lot of things you're not going to be wanting to give away just yet. It seems to be the strategy is that you you just keep your cards close to your test until you get to make the decision later this week. But I think a, a, a very basic one to ask you is health and housing. Fianna Fáil campaigned the last election on, on, on taking over those departments. Is, is that something you want to continue? Uh, yes, yeah. And um, in, 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 there are two very important areas um, that speak to fairness and justice in society. On the housing front, um, I think we have, um, over the last two and a half years, put the building blocks in place to really have a, a significant uh, house construction program for the next decade. Um, this year, we will exceed our targets in Housing for All, which was published over a year ago. We've put in a lot of legislation to facilitate affordable housing, uh, social housing, the Land Development Agency, uh, cost rental. So there's a range of schemes. There. So there's a breadth 
uh, and there's a depth and there's funding behind these programs. So it's like a tanker in the middle of the ocean. I think we've turned that tanker around. Now we have to put the focus on delivery and delivering houses faster. Um, and with that in mind, the, the government will be considering tomorrow a very comprehensive legislation in relation to planning. Uh, to And the largest consolidated bill in over 20 years will be uh, will come before the government tomorrow. The objective being um, to get a more streamlined, uh, more accelerated and informed planning um, system but to facilitate house building and um, climate change. Just returning um, to the reshuffle, uh, imperatives. In, in recent years, there's been a lot of changeover in portfolios. Do you think two and a half years is enough time to really make a difference in a in a department or in a portfolio? Or, or should there be a little bit more time given to ministers? That, that's a, an open question. I mean, I often at times think um, some more time should be given. Uh, on the other hand, I can recall my very first portfolio was education. And I had about uh, two and a half years there and we did enough in two and a half, not enough, but we did a lot in two and a half years that to this day has been felt in, in, in Irish but education. But when you're, when you're dealing with a crisis department like health, like housing, yeah. is, is two and a half years enough time? Well, I mean, because you have someone just reading into the brief again like that. That's yeah, but that question equally could, I, I hate, and I, I know you have to ask the questions and so on like that, but I don't want to get into specifics as to whether there be changes or not in given portfolios. But suffice to say that the point you made, uh, has merit mm. uh, um, and um, but again it has worked in different scenarios where people have gone to full Iraq this term in the ministry or others have gone two and a half years and have managed to do a hell of a lot in two mm. and a half years. So. Well, just sticking with those two departments uh, there, there's a there's a confidence motion in your housing minister this week it would be quite bizarre I think it's fair to say if you voted confidence in them and then sacked them a few days later so I, th I think most people can read between the lines that, that Dara O'Brien would well, again, be hanging on. It would be bizarre if we didn't support our housing policy and the housing yeah. for all was passed by the, all of the government yeah. um, over a year ago um, so what's, and I think it's a look I think everybody realises it's an opportunistic mm. in my view uh, motion I think people generally out there in society want want us to build more houses faster younger people are very impatient are very frustrated mm. uh, with the options that they have the prices the fact that houses are very costly rents are too high so the most effective way of dealing with this is tr through supply mm. so motions in Dial Erdent mm. isn't going to change that and then on health did and they again I, I, like those putting forward the motions I'm not hearing real alternatives or real mm. solutions. I know those who've put forward a motion are against home ownership full stop. Um, mm. But beyond that, I'm not hearing how they would solve uh, the issues or uh, add value to it. Then it, it's long been said or suggested that you, that you have an arrangement with Stephen Donnelly, that when he joined Fianna Fáil, that it was on the basis that he would become health minister should, should Fianna Fáil become to government. Is that the case? No, no. That, that wasn't the case that at all? That wasn't the case at all. There was no. never an arrangement there? No, no not at all. Okay, and again, look, I know you're not going to tell us uh, what's going to happen on Saturday afternoon, but it's, uh, I suppose it's fair to say it's been well rumoured and speculated that you might return to the Department of Foreign Affairs and, and take up your work there again. You obviously have huge interest in the the Northern Irish issue and the unification issue. Um, I, I don't know if you read in today's paper in the Irish Independent, Barry Cowan suggesting if you were to take that up, that you should move on and appoint a deputy leader. So it would give you more time, uh, I suppose the logic goes, to, to to keep an eye on that role while, while someone at home keeps an eye on the party and helps grow Fianna Fáil. Well, I'll be driving ahead in terms of um, my, my role as leader of Fianna Fáil. Uh, so whatever portfolio I take will, will not in any way undermine my capacity uh, to do what's necessary with all of my 
cabinet colleagues, by the way, all of all of the cabinet colleagues will have a role, as will ministers of state, as will TDs and senators, um, in driving on both the reorganisation of the party, but also in terms of the the the, the uh, efforts to make sure that by 2024 we'll have a very strong, robust team in place for the local election. So already you may have seen uh, we've had selection conventions now in Mayo and in other parts of the country in respect to the local elections already. So in the Court of Foyle speech that I gave towards the end of October, I outlined um, a whole programme of events for the party uh, in 2023. So the Fianna Fáil hits the ground running now in January. Uh, and I want to do that with all of my colleagues in government and, and, do you and think in the parliamentary party. Do you see yourself irrespective of what deputy. position I take? But do you do I don't see, see that in, 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 in the foreseeable future. What is it future. that you, you have against having a deputy leader? You've only well, briefly ever had well, it, well, the party itself has only ever briefly had deputy mm. leaders. It's, it, it's, uh, uh, it's not something that has been a constant over uh, the various decades since the foundation of the party. And I think uh, over time I've learned that we've got to, everybody has a role to play in terms of the development uh, yeah. of, of the party and the progression. Of is it the that party. worry that if you do appoint someone, you're essentially anointing your successor? Is, is, is that what the concern there is? Not political concern. Not particularly, no. But in a, some ways yeah, as well. Yeah. If if you were to pick someone again, like you obviously picked Derek Leary before, and and Derek did well. I mean, in terms of the work he did with the party, mm. he works very hard on the ground with the party um, in terms of getting around the country and so on, and 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 understanding various issues in various constituencies. So, but I, I think all members of the cabinet and the front bench mm. have to really get behind that. There can be a tendency of just leaving it then to two or three, and I think it's important. Um, that uh, everybody gets involved and gets to, puts their shoulder behind the wheel in terms of um, uh, growing the party. Just, I want to bounce back to housing again. Just a, a quick one for you. Um, and th this is something. This is a back. I think it was in 2015. Um, you yourself, you're you're a quite regular um, critic of people who object to housing. But you yourself sent in an objection to 350 student accommodation units in your own backyard, in your own constituency, and in the objection which you were, your name was signed on it. It says the proposition of accommodation for 350 students in this community would be a cause of great concern in the context of antisocial behavior, noise pollution and traffic uh, congestion, which has been well documented as having negative impacts on adjoining neighborhoods. Do you recognize those comments? And, and is it something you regret at this point? Well, at that time, there was a huge issue and still is an issue in terms of mm. the college road area, in terms of residential areas feeling that they were but there's always an excuse, isn't there? There's always some local. Well, no, but I'm saying, I mean, I haven't, I haven't made any observations since 2015, that's seven years ago, mm. um, and I've resolved not to, in any shape or form, um, object uh, to any any developments. And at that time, that's what, that was by the lock. Now the, the development has taken place, has happened, mm. and it's 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 well positioned now. To be honest, to be honest, it's it's turned out mm. uh, reasonably okay. Uh, but I don't know. You're familiar with the lock? I'm not. Well, you might get the context of it. I'm sure I don't expect it to. I don't expect it to be. I'm sure but there's context to every uh, objection. Well, that, no, that there's some objections. I mean, some people object to housing types. So basically, mm. in other words, people either want 100% public housing on public lands, or the project doesn't get off the ground. So, like mm. projects like Devony Gardens, Oscar Trainer, they stayed. They were too long. I mean, mm. it's about nearly a decade or more before some of those projects have even got permission to go ahead. That, that, that's the point I would make there. Okay. And I do think from here on in, and I've said to people, you know, th those of us who have houses, mm. the generation that have homes, have to think of the generation that's coming up that needs access to homes that are affordable, mm. both either to rent uh, or to buy. And then I also feel that we need a strong, consistent social housing program in and around 10,000 per annum, mm. which we're now getting close to. 
uh, we should be close to that this year between build, lease and, and purchase. We should make the 10,000 this year. But that has to be the way every year because that takes pressure off the private market or the private rental market. But it also gives opportunities for people who can't afford uh, to buy a house or to rent a house on incomes are low to get social housing. Sure. Another uh, passage I'm going to read to you. This time it's not your words. This time it's from uh, the Comptroller and Auditor General Seamus McCarthy. And this is in relation to uh, overseeing the complaint made against uh, Leo Radker when he was Taoiseach about leaking this document to, to his friend about the, the GP contract. And uh, this is from Mr. McCarthy's submission on, on why, on some concerns he had about uh, the decision by CPO to ultimately not investigate, saying he didn't have the power to investigate a Taoiseach. He said the respondent, which is Leo Radker, implies that any action in his role as Taoiseach judged by him to be appropriate slash in the public interest cannot be questioned. If the document was not confidential, then this argument does not need to be considered by the Commission. If the document was confidential, then in effect, this argument is that the Taoiseach has the power at will and without recourse to any process to declassify a document at his discretion. Is, is that your understanding of the role of the Taoiseach as well? No, uh, I, I think there are limitations to power. Um, and I often say that to people that we have checks and balances in our system. Um, and, you know, people often say to the industry, you're Taoiseach, you should get this done or get that done. And of course, life doesn't work like that. We have a parliament, we have an Oireachtas. Um, and we have uh, laws that, that everyone has to adhere to. Now, in respect of, of that specific issue, first of all, the, the, the Taunishta has acknowledged what he did was wrong. He's apologized. He went before the House. He was accountable to the House in respect mm. of that issue. Um, and in respect of the negotiations, there is a very strong argument that uh, negotiations with doctors, and uh, you know, how confidential are should contracts of that nature be in the first instance anyway? Mm. Because you're talking about the spending of public money uh, on services that people will receive um, from from um, GPs. And so one would have thought that mm. irrespective of who did what, that that's a document that by definition is going to be a public document um, in, in any event. Um, but um, there are limitations. But it's a negotiation power. document at the same um, time. At that, it at is, that but very point. often they get well flagged by the organisations, mm. by the representative bodies. You know. Do you ever get tired uh, of defending the Tonish? <coughs> no, but I, I don't look at it as defending any one individual. I try and look at mm. these things objectively mm. as I can. I'm just well, stand, it, stand back from it and say, so for, exa so for example, SIPA has made a decision. Mm. Like SIPA, there. But I mean, Seamus McCarthy, the Controller and Auditor General, yeah. is one of the most respected officials in the country, and his job is investigating how public money is spent and how things are done. And he has pointed out here, and it seems that they, that even if you want to take the overall uh, decision by SIPO saying that they don't have the power or oversight to, to look into uh, what a Taoiseach does, is that a problem? And is that something that maybe needs well, to be addressed we, in itself? I think fundamentally, Parliament is, mm. is, is the body that uh, a Taoiseach of the day is accountable to. We should not underestimate that. And that, that is enshrined within our constitution. I would be careful of uh, sort of saying some members of SIPO are superior to other members of SIPO. Mm. There's some implication that that could be the case in terms of commentary on these decisions. I think we have to, it's good that the transparency is there, but each member on SIPO is equal to the other, from, as far as I'm concerned, once they are appointed, irrespective of background, and mm. they've got to give this the widest consideration. Okay. You were adamantly opposed to governing with Sinn Féin, the vast majority of your political life. Vast, like adamantly. It, was, it just wasn't happening. You wouldn't, you didn't even consider it. But, but that has changed in the last two years. It changed, I think, on election day 2020 when the votes were coming in. 
what, what, what made the sudden I, change I, of mind? I don't think it changed change on election day. I think those comments I made, if you go back in any election day, I, I have a tendency. I, I think an election day is a kind of a watershed day because the people have spoken. So I tend not to be judgmental on election day. I tend to accept. My instincts are to accept the, the, the decision of the people no matter what it is. No, I didn't. And I think they, they were misinterpreted the remarks that day in terms of an immediate move because uh, we had made commitments in, in, in that But respect. you have softened your language around Sinn Féin. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I wouldn't believe. I mean, this morning I was quite strong. I have very strong views in terms of what Sinn Féin has to do. Um, I don't agree with a lot of Sinn Féin's policies in terms of Europe. I think they're consistently anti-Europe and haven't been called out on that enough. I think they, even in the most recent contribution when President Andrew came into the Doyle, again, if you look at the contribution of uh, their party leader, Marilyn MacDonald, again, it was equivocal on Europe. There was this kind of, uh, they're keeping back the capacity that they want to attack Europe and to be attackers of the European Union. Mm. Um, and they rarely embrace what Europe has done successfully. So you have an anti-European party at its heart. Mm. You have an anti-enterprise party at its heart. Um, and I think those are fundamental issues and a party that's been anti-trade. And then there's the issue of, of in, in my view, this constant um, program of Sinn Féin to rewrite history um, in respect of what happened during that 30 years of, of a campaign of violence that was mm. against the overwhelming majority. But that's fine. You've always stuck by those not, points. I've not backed off those points. You haven't backed off those points, but you've backed yeah. off certainly on the idea of, of governing with them. And I know like just on this well, other issue, just that we, we'll move on to the ongoing case in the forecourt or in the, yeah, the but criminal I just court. Want to say on the, yeah, just on that point, I, I think, you know, I, I, I like to see myself as a Democrat. Um, I'm clear. I think what should govern coalition governments is that the parties are closely aligned mm. on policies and on issues. Um, and particularly on election day, I do take time to reflect and that's just a general t- okay. trend of mine. Look, I know you don't want to discuss and we shouldn't discuss too in too much detail, but the ongoing case in the the, the criminal courts is, is obviously raised huge uh, questions for Mary Lou McDonald. Do you think after all is said and done that she should come out and, and possibly even take questions in the Doyle on, on all that has transpired? Well, I don't know whether a facility exists in the Doyle to take questions, but I definitely think there needs to be um, clear transparency uh, on all of these issues. I don't want to comment on the specifics until the trial is over mm. uh, because of all the participants and so on. Uh, but very serious issue, issues will arise, have already arisen, that would mm. need to be uh, the subject matter of a full public debate. Okay. And there has to be full transparency around this, not just in this specific area in Dublin, but more broadly across the country as the um, military campaign of the provisional area ceased, you know, what happened to all of the, the money laundering exercises? What happened of all the funding that went on for the for the Prover War, as they called it? Uh, did, did all that just disappear? Uh, and was all that stuck, struck down? And so there, were, there had been influences there uh, that I don't think had been fully faced up to mm. or, or, or acknowledged. And then there's the issue of weaponry um, uh, in terms of a lot of weaponry hanging around in the in the wrong hands, um, in, in in different parts of the country, uh, and there's no doubt in my mind that the massive importation of arms that came in from Libya and everywhere else, not all of that, it would seem to, it would appear it was decommissioned, uh, and got and a lot of it got into the wrong hands subsequently, mm. um, and uh, it seems a lot of criminals have got hold of some of that uh, cash of arms. Could I just add, just moving on uh, to kind of more personal issues, since, since you've become Taoiseach, I think you've um, been more open to discussing your family, 
um, your children even who passed away. I see today you were you were speaking about your son um, and missing out on football on hurling games. Was it things like this? And uh, I was just wondering, is that was that important to you as Taoiseach, like to, to give a bit to give the public a little bit more insight into your life, to 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 give a bit more of yourself, let's say, to the public. Um, once it, you took up office, it wasn't done in a premeditated way. I think the mm. first was a, an article by uh, Jenny Hogan, uh, mm. which was on parenting. Yeah, and I, I said I agreed to do uh, to do the article via my press officer and so on. Mm. But then when you're actually doing an interview on parenting, mm. it's it's a, it seemed like a proper context when the questions were put to me, and it was done very sensitively. Mm. Um, but it always is very difficult, and uh, it's very difficult for the family in particular. Mm. Um, and um, and then the next. Occasion was um, the, the the Meaning of Life program um, with Joe Duffy, and and that took me on, on when I was actually doing the program as well, um, and um, but it's not something I've you know and but what I found from the Jenny Hogan article was that I got a lot of correspondence, uh, which I didn't expect from uh, parents who went through um, similar events and tragedy uh, and and traumatic events, and there is some merit in sharing your experiences that others may resonate with what you said or be in a position to say, look, actually, that's how I felt about it. And that, that's, that means something to me, what you said uh, on that program. And, um, and, and, and that, that certainly has caused me more reflection. Um, it's not something because I was always anxious not to do it in a political context ever. Uh, but um, it has given me food for thought, the fact that people have written to me. I'm not great at writing back or engaging, mm. but I will when when, I, when this hectic phase is over. I'll, I'll recontact people um, who have gone through um, very traumatic events and who found the interviews helpful. Mm. But you, you say the family found them a little bit difficult. I do, I do, yeah, yeah. I, I do, yeah. Actually, yeah. yeah. Okay, Ed, look, the whole country has been talking about it um, over the last week, this video of the tarnished uh, that's been doing the rounds on social media um, and, and just before we decided recording you were talking about how the advanced social media is becoming and this metaverse type thing where people will be able to record everything that they're looking around with their pair of glasses or something like this Google glasses and I suppose do you, do you think there is too much intrusion into a politician's lives these days or are, because you were a politician are you public are you uh, there for the public to consume I don't think you are. I don't believe you are. Um, I don't believe in that sort of intrusion. I don't think it's right. I don't think I, I think what happened was a breach of privacy fundamentally. Um, no, I do um, accept that in the, in the world of social media, it's, a, it's an ever present reality, perhaps, or danger. Um, and um, I, what, what would concern me is the degree to which it could deter people from getting getting involved in politics and participating in politics. I don't think we've fully worked out the impact of social media on our lives yet um, or on a public debate or on politics. And I do sense that, that there there would be quite a number of people very reluctant to become involved in politics because of this sense that there are no, that everything to do with their lives will be scrutinized uh, and so on. And, and then that is a concern uh, in terms of the impact it will have on potential politicians of the future but I think I know attempts are being made to regulate it at, at present but when that, 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 that the emphasis has been put on the companies but is there an emphasis to be put on the members of the public as well about how they use social media or what they're willing to post or what they're willing to say online well I think the the, the platforms have to be there has to be a lot of pressure on and to be fair I think a lot of companies are doing a lot of work to try and mm. take hate speech off to take 
uh, a lot of material down as quickly as it goes up. Mm. Um, and I think there has to be responsibility on individuals in society as well. Now, trying to regulate that is extremely difficult. Um, and um, because there's, there's all sorts of balances between you know, free speech at another level mm. um, and it's a very difficult space. And now there is a lot of legislation coming down uh, stream in terms of the online media bill, for example, which would be uh, significant digital services act. So there's a lot, Europe is bringing a lot of regulations. So I think we are now entering into an era where there'll be far more regulation mm. of social media platforms and perhaps there was there was a lot of regulation already on the privacy side but right across the board now I, I think there's more level playing field being created between the traditional mainstream media and so mm. and, and social media and, like, uh, and that, will, that will demand huge resources by the way from the state in terms of the new online media regulator the, um, the uh, and the online media commission, mm. which uh, or the media commission. But uh, you're you're a politician, um, so I presume you get a lot of uh, abuse online. Do, you, do your family see that? Do they? Do, does it impact on them, or would they just keep away? Well, from I it? said to them they won't ignore it, but they do watch Twitter and, mm. and, and <laughs> Facebook. Not. What worries me at times is the degree to which it can influence thinking, mm. almost without people realizing it. So I kind of say if sometimes they may ring and say, look, what about this? Then I said, you're, you're hooked too much on twi Twitter. Get off that because that's only one perspective mm -hmm. and get out there and meet people and talk to people and, and on the street and so on. Like that. you might get a different perspective. Um, so I, I think I've taught them to be rather immune to it and, and that all sorts will come on. Um, sometimes I'm interested in going through some of the commentary to see where they're coming from. What's you put yourself through it. Do you? uh, well, only from a, a research perspective, yeah. is that a far right kind of trend mm. who, who's engineering it no, I'm not good at that but mm. I mean do, do it we, seems uh, that a lot of the reactions can be engineered mm. to do we have people so. monitoring it within your team or really. I, I mean as a state even like as no a, no we don't no, that, like no, that no. that's can't, no it's hard to to monitor I, look um your term is almost up I, and you say you're going into the next election again isn't that correct as yes. a foil leader yeah. and yeah. you will lead the troops um how many seats are you you thinking you're going to Get. Well, what's the target? Well, a lot depends on the, the census and the mm. Boundary Commission, and we could have more seats in the dial overall. Mm. Uh, but certainly, we want to go higher than we, where we are now. Mm. Um, a lot will depend on the pipeline, pipeline of candidates that we develop in the context mm. or between now and the, and the next local elections in 2024. But you're not tying yourself down to a figure uh, just yet. Not so yet, no. Yeah. But uh, we want to significantly increase the number. If, if it, uh, I don't know if this has been asked of you before, but it, like you're determined to stay on, but. It, if someone was to challenge you, is that something you would relish? Would you would you take them on? Would you? I don't. I wouldn't relish a challenge yeah. like that. No, 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 no sane leader would. Mm. Um, but um, didn't do Enda Kenny any harm. And, but I work with my, my parliamentary party, and I will engage my parliamentary party. And I think a collective unity of purpose approach is best for the party. Mm. I've realised. But to anyone the out there, anyone out there considering taking on but, Paul but Martin, in, what would you say to them? But in the last uh, in the last two elections. Um, we did well, sorry, in 2016 we did very well because I think mm. there was very strong unity of purpose coming into that election. We do better when we're unified mm. and when we don't have division uh, and that, that would be my experience. But would you take someone on? Well, sorry, I, I, as I say, um, I, I intend to lead the party into the next election and so, yeah. that, that has implications. But Yeah, you know. okay. And is there anyone there that you see as a, a natural successor? Oh, well, there's many people in the parliamentary party mm. who, who could succeed me, many, many people. Mm. Um, and it's a, and it's a talented um, party, many talented individuals. 
a number are in cabinet some are not in cabinet um, and um, so th- there's no fear for the party into the future mm. where do you where do you rate yourself amongst the the Fianna Fáil leaders of the well I haven't rated myself yet no and it's different circumstances and different times you're a lot uh, longer uh, tenured than a lot of them yes um, mm. not as Taoiseach perhaps not well as Taoiseach no, but but, uh, but as leader yes and a different context again coming out of the crash the financial crash um, and uh, long period in opposition and so forth uh, but it, it, it's it, you know I think politics is something that I, I like engaging in and meeting people and getting around the country and so on like that and then being in a position to take decisions so mm. um, so I think you, from uh, my student of history hat on me very often people are judged I think best judged in the circumstances they find themselves in in the context of the times that they're governing or leader of the party mm. in. and uh, the, the, as a party, let's say, I think it, I think it's fair to say in some regards that there, <coughs> the reputation of Fianna Fáil was tarnished by by some leaders. Uh, if you look at Charles Haughty and some of the things that came out about him over time, uh, the the problems Bertie Ahern had with tribunals, and and even the time of the crash around Bertie Ahern or uh, Brian Cowan. Do you think that you you've helped move the the party's image from then to to one that's a little bit more squeaky clean than than would have been seen in the past? Well, I think to be fair, I, I think overall. And there have been bad patches in the party's history, but equally there have been very strong periods mm-hmm. as well. I mean, I think to take Brian Cohn, I think he led in the middle of the crash well. Um, he didn't look at it from a political perspective or through a political prism, but he took decisions with the late Brian Lennon that had to be taken. Now, electorally, they had the results and so on, but from a country's perspective in terms of the four-year plan and doing what had to be done in the midst of a crisis and acknowledging that, I think something I'd like to say on his behalf, because I think that's a positive mm. legacy. Uh, mistakes were made earlier in terms of budgets and so on like that. And, and then you had a global financial crash. Um, I think Bertie Ahern's legacy is, 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 is the Good Friday Agreement. And you don't no think it's tarnished it. by the tribunals? Uh, obviously, the tribunal was not a... Um, um, a, a you a forced him out of the him. party over the tribunal. No, but it wasn't good, good for him. I, I acknowledge that and I think greater clarity at the time. But you can't take from him the legacy of the Good mm. Friday Agreement and what that meant for the island but I, and well, other issues as but well. You, but you did, you did force him from the party. I think that's fair to say. Well, I know he took a decision on his He own, took a decision but, but to, to, to resign. Jump before there was, a push uh, scenario. Uh, there I think was a context at the time, but he, mm. he took a decision to resign. But and do you see him going make, back into the party? Um, sorry? Do you see, you've said in the past that think, you... you uh, you know, he's now a confidant. You speak about um, the Nord- Northern issues all the time. Do you see that, like this proposal that has been suggested that he come back into the party? I think that's that's, that's very possible. Um, mm. I, I believe like he is interested. He is retained. He's interested in Northern Ireland. He speaks to more than me in, in relation to the North. Uh, he's involved with a group of uh, former political leaders and also community leaders in the Unionist Loyalist side. Um, to try and get an understanding of, of where they're coming from and various issues. And he's also spoke to Simon Coveney and, uh, and others also. Um, and, uh, as but you haven't made the offer just that. yet, have you? Uh, not just yet. No. Will you? Yeah, I think, as I say, it's, it's, it's every possibility. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for coming into us and speaking to us uh, ahead of the big day. And best Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Philip. Yeah, thanks. My thanks to Taoiseach Micheál Martin for joining me today. I'm Philip Ryan and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll with sound by Gavin Hennessy. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.